The Christmas Box, chapter number four. Joe tried his best to completely focus on his work, but the day had started with thoughts of bells, and he just couldn't set them aside as they continued to flood through his mind. He decided to put the more intricate work to the side and just sand down a few pieces he had prepped so he could think back on some of the good times he and Bells had experienced. As he cut on the sander and felt the calming vibration flow through him, he thought back to the day they had met and what a disaster it had been, or at least so he thought. Ever since he was young, he had known he wanted to join the military and find out what kind of opportunities and experience uh, experiences it had to offer. His dad had always talked about his days in the Navy, and he too thought that would be the route for him. His junior year in high school, he went to the recruiter's office in the local mall, fully intending on talking to the Navy recruiter, but when he arrived, the Navy recruiter had gone to lunch. The Army recruiter saw him in the hall and started up a conversation with him that led to him discussing the options that the Army had to offer. And that's how it all began. Joe entered into the Army's early enlistment program and was all set up within a few weeks. Upon graduation, <clears throat> he spent two weeks with high school friends at the beach and then left the following Monday for Fort Jackson, South Carolina for basic training. He still shook his head at the thought of intense training in the middle of August, but he made it through and then had to go to Fort Augusta, Georgia for his advanced training. One weekend when they had a free pass, a bunch of guys decided to go hang out at the local mall and he made the fateful decision to join them. Joe was especially close with one of his fellow soldiers named Gabriel Knowles. Gabe, as he was called, was from Louisville, Kentucky and was a massive man. Joe liked to go joke with Gabe about the association with the angel of the same name and how he had better be his guardian. Gabe would just chuckle and reply, always, bro. Now, this particular weekend was the first in November. He knew the exact date was Saturday, November the 6th, 2010. How could he forget? As the previous week had been pretty stressful, the weekend offered up the perfect opportunity to unleash pent-up stress, pent-up stress, and so Joe and Gabe were walking through the mall talking excitedly to each other about the current situation in the college football rankings. And then there she was, as though she materialized right out of thin air. Joe was so caught off guard, he didn't process the fact that he was walking right into her. He did, however, remember thinking of how beautiful she was. And the thought crossed his mind about walking with one angel in Gabe and meeting another one. He was so captivated by her eyes that he couldn't help but stare into them. He didn't understand until too late, but it seemed to him that her eyes were getting bigger and bigger until, boom, he stepped right into her and proceeded to crush her soft drink all over his shirt. The effect of him running into her caused her to lose her balance, and she began to fall backwards until he quickly reached out simply by reaction and caught her by the arm. Whoa, was all he could think to say as he realized the drink all over him was so cold. Of course, it came off sounding like he was reacting to her beauty, and he immediately blushed. I, I, I'm so sorry about that, he stammered as she regained her balance and seemed to burn a hole straight through him with her angry glare. I literally just bought that drink and hadn't even taken a sip yet, she replied to his apology.
But then her glare seemed to cool down as she looked over his shirt and the soda dripping off him. Well, I really was debating whether Pepsi was a better choice than Cheerwine, and apparently you agree, she said, looking to her friend who was trying her best to suppress a giggle. Joe could think of nothing else to say, still mesmerized by the beauty of this girl. He had nearly knocked to the ground, but thankfully his buddy Gabe came to the rescue. Um, like he said, we're both real sorry about that and should have been paying better attention. Can we at least buy you another drink? Uh, maybe a cheer wine this time, he said. This seemed to amuse both of the girls, who laughed out loud at his suggestion. Looks like you might need to get your friend another shirt since this one seems wet, she offered. Joe finally broke his trance and looked down at himself and realized the drink was running down his jeans as well. He could already feel that it was getting sticky. Yeah, I guess that is a good idea, Gabe said. But Joe broke in. Wait a minute. Let me go find a shirt real quick and then we can replace your drink for you if you're willing to wait. Both girls seemed to debate this offer and looked at each other for a minute before the one uh, he ran into replied, I guess I can wait a minute or two. I mean, if you're going to replace my drink and all. Of course. Uh, sure, no problem. Joe stammered again, adding, we'll just be a minute and come right back. Uh, sure, take your time, she replied, shrugging her shoulders. Joe and Gabe started to walk away, and then Joe suddenly uh, stopped suddenly and turned back to them. Wait a minute. I I'm sorry, but I, I don't even know your name. What what's your name? He asked the beautiful girl, who seemed to be enjoying all of this. She smiled at him and started walking back into the store, but stopped, turned around, and simply whispered her name to him. Bella, you know, just like in the Twilight movies. And just as fast as she had appeared, she was gone again. He was so captivated by this girl that he could think of nothing else but getting back to her as fast as he could. He and Gabe merely ran to the first clothing store he could find and yanked the first shirt that looked halfway decent off the rack. After paying for the shirt, he stopped into the bathroom, used paper towels to dry himself off as best he could, and then put on the new shirt. Only then to realize why it was on the clearance rack. Right there on the front was the giant head of a turkey with the statement, so who's the turkey now? Emblazoned right across the whole thing. Horrified, he turned around to show Gabe what was going on, only to have Gabe, once he read the caption, burst out in uncontrollable laugh, doubling over from the effects. Come on, man, Joe pleaded. But this only made Gabe laugh even harder. What am I going to do? We got to get back quick or they might leave, Joe stated. Gabe finally was able to calm down some and then replied, Look, Joe, if that girl likes you, and it seems like she just might to me, then that shirt will surely seal the deal, he said, bursting out in laughter again. So, desperate to get back to her, yet mortified both of her reaction and what she would think, Joe made the decision to just go with it and head back before the girls gave up on them and left. Just before entering the store, Joe, Joe took a deep breath for encouragement and stepped in. Immediately, it seemed like every set of eyes in the place fell on him and this ridiculous shirt. Gabe even leaned in and whispered, remember, bro, I got your neck. I, I mean your back, and then snickered at his little turkey joke. Joe scanned the room and located the two girls. As he approached, it seemed that Bella was enjoying this moment, trying to suppress a smile, while at the same time her friend was doing everything she could to stop from laughing but failing miserably. He didn't really know what to do or say when he walked up to the table, but it seemed that this girl named Bella was quick on her feet and impressed him to no end when she smiled and said, So then, 
you're offering drinks and dinner, at which point they all just laughed. Sometime later, Bella did confide in Joe that it was at that moment when he was able to walk in that store with that ridiculous shirt on that she knew she would marry him one day. And the shirt, for years, hung in his closet as a reminder of that day. They immediately hit it off, and even Gabe and Delilah, Bella's friend, seemed to hit it off as well. They ended up spending Thanksgiving at Bella's home in Savannah, Georgia. The only reason Bella and Delilah had even been in Augusta was that they had uh, taken a weekend trip to Augusta to see a friend of theirs uh, who had been in the right place, uh -oh, who had moved a few weeks back. Joe and Bella would often talk about how amazing it was that they had been in the right place at the right moment for everything to work out as it had. Within a few weeks, Joe realized that his school would be completed the week before Christmas and he had fallen completely in love with Bella, always spending every single free moment with her that he could, or at the least talking on the phone until late at night. She too was aware of his impending com completion of school and they discussed just what their options were, neither of them wanting their relationship to end. Joe had already made up his mind and had even confided in Gabe that he wanted what, what he wanted to do, but the hard part came when Joe called up Bella's parents to discuss his plans. While her mom was thrilled, her dad seemed a little worried about taking such a big step after only having known each other for a short time. Gabe promised to think things through while they were away visiting his family back in Franklinville, North Carolina for Christmas. Mercifully, and against nearly all the odds, Joe finally got his orders the week before graduation that he would be heading to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, only about an hour and a half from home and about four and a half hours from Savannah, Georgia. Once moved in and established at Fort Bragg, he finalized his plans, called her dad and explained everything, and then drove down to Savannah to see Bella on the weekend before Valentine's Day. <clears throat> when he stepped inside the door and she came down the stairs to greet him, she found him waiting there at the door, all dressed up in a suit and kneeling on one knee. He asked her to marry him, and before he could even finish asking, she yelled excitedly, Yes, yes, yes! September the 10th, 2011 was their wedding day. Among the wedding party was Gabe and Delilah, who had also hit it off pretty well, and it seemed that they too might take the plunge, as some called it. Also, as agreed by all who knew their history, only Cheerwine was served as a beverage, in cups, with lids. As he cut the sander off and set it on the shelf, he remembered their wedding night as they lay in the bed holding each other and he had wept like a baby, completely overwhelmed at how fortunate he had been to cross paths with her, as well as the love Bells was willing to share with him for the rest of their lives. A single tear ran down his cheek now as he remembered just how short time was to be. Chapter number five. Julia was washing up the dishes after breakfast now and continued to look out the window at the beautiful snowfall. There is just something beautiful and peaceful about the snowfalls here versus back home in Boston, she thought. Maybe it was the small town feel along with the absence of traffic everywhere. It slightly surprised her that in that moment, she realized she had been thoroughly enjoying the peace and quiet, not even missing Boston that much at all. 
As she finished with the dishes, she knew that the snowfall would keep most everyone at home. Plus, she didn't have any reason to go into town. All of the tasks she had to get finished from her dad's passing were done. Thankfully, her dad had been aware that if something happened to him, he wanted to make the transition for Julia as smooth and quick as possible. While the lawyers always took more time than you would think, all of the legal issues, meetings, and documents to sign were handled rather swiftly, and she was done with everything in just about eight days. Once the decision was made to actually move here, she and Nathan flew back home and began getting ready for the move. The toughest and most difficult part for her was the orchestra. This was right before the Christmas season when the concert performances were in full swing. Thankfully, the orchestra had already had someone practicing her solo parts and was able to cover her absence. She was an accepted and admired part of the group now and absolutely loved what she did here. Along with the many friends she had made, especially Anna, who was heartbroken but fully understood and agreed with Julia that moving back home was a good decision. This was based on the news that when Julia had come to the conductor about the move, he had offered, well, he had rather insisted, on calling the conductor of the North Carolina Symphony to see if he could land her a spot with them. Strange enough, there was a violinist who had just retired this month, and they were already interviewing and auditioning for the spot, and the conductor was eager to set up a meeting. So Julia and Nathan had packed up in three days. She had notified her most gracious landlord that she would be moving, and they had set off on a new journey with tears and hugs from Anna and promises to visit when she could. As Anna sat at the kitchen table and watched the snow continue to fall, it occurred to her that not once, from the moment they left Boston until just this morning, basically four whole days, she had not thought about Andrew, her mom, or even her dad. She started to feel bad and was concerned about this, but she realized how busy she had been and just the task before her had been enough to occupy her every waking moment. But now in this moment, she looked around the kitchen and thought about the brand new start she and Nathan were undertaking and felt rejuvenated about the decision she had made. Sure, as soon as she had told the lawyer she would be keeping the house, it had scared her to think of how she would pull this off. But as soon as she wrapped her head around it, she could actually feel a little excited about it. Andrew would have been so proud and would have loved this old place as he was something of a blue collar type and loved hard work. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, the thought of Andrew and hard work sparked a memory of the day they first met, and she could only smile, remembering just how completely helpless she had been when she first saw him in uniform on a hot summer day, sweating like crazy, and her heart had melted faster than ice cream in a cone. It had been one of those summers that was so hot it seemed like everything broke down. There had been a few times even the power had gone out, but was quickly revived. Julia was home from school and her mom and dad were all going out to eat at the local spot, the Frankville Diner, which had the absolute best hamburgers on the planet. It was Julia's junior year of high school, and she attended the University of North Carolina School of the Arts in Winston-Salem, which was about an hour away. The public school system's music program always began in the sixth grade, so in her fifth grade year, she had gone to an assembly where the seventh and eighth grade band had played, and she was completely hooked. She had been so excited to get home and tell her mom and dad that she wanted to play the violin. 
It was realized early on that Julia had a real talent for music, and her band director had encouraged her mom and dad on several occasions to look into professional tutoring to increase her playing skills. Things were always tough financially for her mom and dad, so this was not a real option, but a real shot came in her eighth grade year when an academic member of the UNCSA was attending a concert that featured her playing a solo. The lady was so impressed with Julia, she told her mom and dad that they just had to get Julia into the school. In no time at all, Julia had auditioned, been accepted, had all of the paperwork for tuition assistance, grants, loans, permission slips, everything else filled out, and she was on her way. Even in such a pristine setting as a school focused on the arts, Julia had flourished. As if her life had been scripted in some fairy tale, just that week she had been offered a full scholarship and accepted at one of the most prestigious music colleges in the United States, the Juilliard School of Music in New York. So here she was on a blistering hot day during summer break, going out to celebrate the wonderful news with her mom and dad at her favorite place to eat. Julia's family lived in a pretty remote area of Randolph County where her dad said he could breathe the fresh country air. Although Julia thought he was joking because all she smelled were the animals and the natural fertilizer they produced. She couldn't understand how this could be refreshing at all. Their home was situated at the end of a private dirt road that only had three homes on it. She had grown up right in the middle of a forest surrounded on every side by huge southern pines that the local paper mill planted, harvested, and replanted about every 20 years or so. She, she even loved to play her violin on the back sun deck and listen to how the notes would just resonate and flow through the trees effortlessly. On this particular Saturday, her dad had finished up a little help from with, with a little help from her in the garden, although he had warned her that they couldn't stay out there for long as hot as it was. She didn't necessarily like working in the garden, but she did love spending every moment she could with her dad. Even now, as she sat at the kitchen table thinking back, it still amazed her at just how energetic her father had always been and never seemed to get tired. She knew he had grown up as the oldest of eight kids and had basically had to be one of the parents for all the others. This had infused a sense of responsibility very early on in him, and he never let it go. And this is how things all came together on that one hot summer day, August the 7th, 2010, when as they came around the corner of the road, there they were, a military truck of some sort, she had heard him call it a deuce and a half or something, and three soldiers all in uniform. <clears throat> she noticed that one was working under the hood while the other two were standing by watching and flagged her dad down. As her dad pulled over to help, she didn't even notice the two were approaching the car. She found herself curious about the one who had stripped down to his tan-colored t-shirt and was up to his elbows working on something under the hood. <clears throat> she couldn't see his face, but she did notice he was soaking wet all over and involuntarily she noticed her eyebrow raised ever so slightly at how the t-shirt clung to his body, secretly revealing toned muscles under there. She flushed with embarrassment and realized that this was the very first time that she had been attracted to any boy, or man, that is. Sure, there had been hot guys, as her friends had called them every now and then, but with her concentration on music and her advanced studies, there had simply been no room at all for dating. Actually, this was just now becoming a thing for her as her senior prom would be coming up next year and some of her friends had already been this year. Her dad got out of the car to offer some help, as was his way, but thankfully he kept the car running so she and her mom wouldn't melt away. She found herself trying to lean up a little closer to the window to get a better look at this soldier who had so captured her curiosity. When her dad came up to the side of the truck, 
all four of them started a conversation. She anxiously waited, hoping that the soldier would peek his head out from under the hood so she could finally get a good look at him. Just now, sitting here reminiscing about this moment in her life, she realized that it had never occurred to her what she would think if he had actually been ugly or somehow unattractive in some way. <clears throat> this was just an impossibility, and she would not think like that. The conversation went on for a little bit, and she found herself almost encouraging her dad to get the soldier to come out from under the hood. She found that her face was nearly planted against the hot window in anticipation for the moment she was waiting for, when all of a sudden, and almost like it was totally unexpected, this soldier who had so captured her total attention lifted his, out, lifted his head out from under the hood and said something to her dad. In that moment, she saw his blue eyes. Yes, she could tell from even that far away, and in that short of a moment, turn and look directly at her. She heard herself gasp as she nearly jumped back from the window. You okay back there? Her mom had asked. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, she had replied, wondering if that really was true. She had no idea who this soldier was, but what she did know was that she was immediately attracted to him. And now she understood that saying about girls falling for a guy in a uniform. In this case, it was ever so true. She immediately wondered how she could introduce herself or find out who this soldier was. Should she get out, walk over to them? Should she roll the window down? And no, that wouldn't work. And it would embarrass her to no end. She was beginning to get frustrated when she saw her dad turn and walk back to their side of the car. Her mom rolled the window down and he said, looks like these are some special forces guys out of the Robin Sage training area. Their truck broke down and they are waiting for a military tow truck, but it's going to be a while. I thought about taking them back to the house to wait so uh, they don't have to stay out here in this heat. She nearly blurted out, of course we should take them home, but realized that he was talking to her mom. In the fact that right then and there, in the small moment of time, her mom held the power of decision to allow them to meet or not. So she nearly bit her lip waiting for her response. Her mom was in no hurry, it seemed, but eventually she replied, well, if you think that's okay, but what are we going to do about dinner? Do you want me to fix something now? Or do you think we should feed them too? Do you think they're hungry? Her dad seemed amused at how her mom was processing the situation. And with eight raised eyebrows, he answered, I don't know, but I'll be sure to ask. And with that, her dad drove her and her mom back home first and then returned to gather the three soldiers and bring them home. She stood by the front window watching and waiting, knowing and expecting them to arrive at any minute. And when they did, her heart nearly jumped right up into her throat. Even in the present moment, she could recall that feeling and know that it would not be the only time that he could make her feel this way. Her mom was busy in the kitchen preparing a last-minute meal for six instead of the three of them, so Julia hung out in the living room as her dad entertained their guests. She didn't realize it at the time, but she had locked eyes on this mystery soldier and couldn't help herself. Later on, he would admit that he knew she was staring at him and was somewhat amused by it. It was here that she had heard him announce his name as Andrew Braxton, as well as the other two soldiers' names, but she didn't hear them. She had locked on to this soldier named Andrew and realized that somehow and in some way, she just had to introduce herself and get to know more about him. All through dinner, she listened to every single detail he gave about who they were and what had happened. Growing up in this area, she knew all about Robin Sage and how it was the name of a special forces training area the U.S. Army owned, all in this area around and near the house and throughout the country. 
On many nights, you could hear the shooting and explosions off in the distance as the soldiers trained. Andrew explained that the three of them were finalizing their training before being accepted into regular units of the Special Forces. They were just on their way back to the main camp when the truck broke down. <clears throat> he went on to tell them uh, that he was from Houston, Texas, and had joined the Army just as many in his family had out of honor, respect, and duty. Uh, her dad, she knew, uh, could understand and relate as he too had joined, had told her often that he was from a long list of descendants who had answered the call of duty when they were old enough. Sounds like you boys are about to be thrown into a real hornet's nest with everything going on around the world, she heard her dad say. It was only then that she realized the gravity of the situation they had been discussing. Yes, sir, but we're ready, Andrew confidently replied. Julia could only describe what she felt as pride in his response. When supper was over, the other two soldiers made their way outside to smoke while Andrew hung around and insisted on helping wash up the dishes. Her mom seemed thrilled with the notion and even remarked how thoughtful that was of him. She jumped at the chance to get close to him and also offered to help out. Eventually, she realized that her mother had left them alone in the kitchen to do the dishes while she reset the dining room table with fresh napkins and settings. She really liked to make the table as pretty and presentable as she could. However, Julia had a sneaking feeling that her mom could sense what was going on and decided to let things play out at their own pace. Andrew was very nice and struck up a conversation with her that had her laughing and smiling to the point that when the dishes were done, her face seemed to be hurting from smiling so much. <laughs> of course, she had no idea why. Hey, Andrew, truck's here, she heard one of the other soldiers call out inside the front door. Immediately, her heart sank and she realized her time with Andrew was nearly over and she didn't know what to do. She had been enjoying their time together so much she had not realized how much time had gone by. As Andrew made his way through the front door, she nearly broke out in tears, wondering if she would ever have a chance to see him again. She was almost ready to call out to him to stop him from leaving or at least to do something to get a few more minutes with him. But instead, as he started down the steps, he stopped and turned to look at her dad on the porch. He tilted his head ever so slightly to the left, just like Nathan would do, she thought, and then said, thank you so much for your hospitality. We appreciate how you folks took good care of us, and thank you also for that great supper, he said as he nodded his head to her mother. Julia was so focused on him that she nearly missed what he said next. Nearly missed, but still she heard every word and would repeat them in her head for days to come. If you're okay with it, Mr. Trogdon, I would like to know if I have your permission to ask Julia out on a date sometime, he asked as he looked at her, a twinkle in his eye, a huge smile on his face, and his head tilted ever so slightly to the left. They immediately hit it off and had a wonderful summer together, knowing all too well that in the next year she would be moving to New York to begin college, and he could be stationed anywhere in the world while serving in the Army. Still, over the next four years, somehow, and in some miraculous way, they stayed together and blossomed in a long-distance relationship that seemed to just amaze everyone around them. With graduation nearing, Julia had sent her resume out to some of the orchestras and symphonies she was interested in, and her favorite choice, the Boston Philharmonic, had sent her a notice that for an audition in the following month. As is the tradition in most schools, the senior class celebrates with an end-of-year dance, prom, or some type of celebration for the entire class. Juilliard was no different and had announced their senior graduation concert set for May the 22nd at the Peter J. Sharp Theater, and she would be performing the final musical piece. She was exceptionally excited, as well as incredibly nervous, as her mom and dad would be attending. 
As she began to play, she let the music flow over her as she concentrated on every single note, which she had already memorized weeks ago. Feeling the music warm her entire body as she fully engrossed herself in the entire performance and gave it everything she had. When she was finished, the entire theater rose in thunderous applause and she cried tears of immense joy at their heartfelt reception. She bowed and bowed again as the applause seemed to continually flow with no end. Eventually, as the applause died down, something from offstage caught the corner of her eye and she turned to see what it was. She couldn't believe her eyes. There stood Andrew in full dress uniform, smiling from ear to ear. And of course, his head was slightly tilted as usual. He walked out on the stage to where she was to uh, to where she was to some curious applause. He stood there only for a moment, basically enough to make her wonder what in the world was going on. She glanced over at her parents, who seemed to be smiling as though they knew what was going on, and she noticed her mom was crying as well. Miss Julia Trogdon, that was without any doubt the most beautiful piece of music I have ever heard in my life. And on that wonderful note, may I ask, will you marry me? He said as he got down on one knee and opened a small ring box that had been in his hand. Thankfully, she had already set her violin down because in this moment, with all of their wonderful times that had been able to spend together flashing through her mind, nothing else mattered in the entire world. But being here at this moment, right now, on this stage, with her Andrew, she put her hands to her mouth as the tears began to flow but she did remember to open them slightly as she nodded and simply replied, yes. The theater erupted in tremendous shouts of joy and applause yet again. 